Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey, Geekscapists. Welcome to a brand new Geekscape podcast. I'm Jonathan London, your host. And if this is your first Geekscape, well, strap yourselves in for some pop culture talk. I'm a storyteller, a filmmaker, and I do this Geekscape podcast to connect with fellow storytellers. I've worked in everything from film to TV to video games to comic books. I love pop culture. And so 18 years ago, I created this show as an excuse to talk to other creative people about storytelling. And this episode's awesome. I talked to Michael Jai White about his brand new movie, The Outlaw Johnny Black. It's a Western. We talk about that. We talk about one take masters versus just like uh, letting the performers perform and not chopping up either the martial arts, their performances. Um, it was really great. I love talking to fellow directors. And Michael Jai White comes with like another level of also being an actor, a martial artist, a writer, a complete package. Uh, I loved talking to him. So you've got that coming up. Let's do a little bit of Geekscape. All right, Geekscapists, before we get to Michael Jai White and uh, our conversation about making it the outlaw Johnny Black, let's do a little bit of housekeeping here on Geekscape. I loved the feedback on the um, uh, on the Adam Siegel conversation. That was great. And I loved talking to Adam. Again, like I said in the intro, I love talking to filmmakers and Adam. Uh, that was a lot of fun. I love that he wrote and directed this film with Simon Pegg in it. And I w- went to the premiere. I went to the premiere Thursday. And if you liked the conversation where we talked <laughs> kind of heavy about things like death and purpose and faith, uh, that's the movie. <laughs> so uh, if you watch the trailer, you might be like thinking it's a little poppy, like uh, Edgar Wright-ish maybe. And of course, with uh, Simon's relation to Edgar Wright and the Edgar Wright films uh, and all that, and Edgar's great and simon's hilarious uh if you watch this movie simon's amazing in it simon's funny in it the movie is as contemplative and conversational as uh adam was on geekscape last week if anything i told adam i was like dude the writing's great like your dialogue your writing your conversation your character is fantastic uh and this feels like more of a like a link richard linklater movie if richard linklater was like gonna go and do a period piece in England about this weird mystery. <laughs> uh, that's, that's, it just felt like the way characters talk about ideas and things with each other. It's not a boring movie. It is a fun movie. It is a cool movie. It is a contemplative movie and it's a mystery. So that's what you want to sign yourself up for. If you're going to go out and see Nando Fordor. Um, it's, it's, it's dense. Like you guys are going to have to be patient with the movie. And uh, that's good. I don't think that I make Geekscape for dummies. I think I make, uh, I think the biggest Geekscape dummy is me. <laughs> I got to tell you, I, I uh, how did this come about? I'll tell you a story and then we'll, we'll get quick to uh, Michael J. White. Um, okay. I like bought a shiny thing on the internet. It wasn't expensive. Um, it was just something that popped up because I have this photo on my desk. It's one of my favorite moments in my life. It was 1990. The Nintendo championships were having a regional championship in Dallas. I grew up in Austin and 1990, I think I'm 11 years old. And I begged my dad to take me 
drive me to Dallas. I think it's a four hour drive from Austin. Uh, two and a half. I don't know. Um, Texas is big. <laughs> it's an investment, right? Um, and so I, I have my dad drive me to Dallas and get me, you know, passes. We get passes. We spend the day at the Nintendo championships. And I remember my older brother used to tease me with his friends because when I was telling him how excited my older brother used to pick up me all the time for being a nerd and being into video games and comics and all that stuff. And uh, the result is Geekscape, of course. But they used, he and his friends used to mock me and go, there's going to be 200 Game Boys. And the whole, <laughs> the whole line, there's going to be 200 Game Boys, was because the Game Boy fever was real. When the first Game Boy came out and Tetris and Super Mario Land and all that stuff... Uh, I was addicted to it. I was really, really pretty incredible at Tetris on the Game Boy. And uh, that was one of the big appeals was that this new Game Boy that I think launched in 88, 89, uh, there were going to be 200 Game Boys at the Nintendo Championships. And it is one of the best days of my life. And I wish I remembered more of it. In fact, the stuff I remember the most is like the drive with my dad. Uh, my dad putting me in the car and driving from Austin to Dallas and back and um, listening to his music. His music was like Dire Straits, The Killer Bees, The Cars, you know, stuff that was kind of like big in the 80s. And now we're we're kind of leaning into the 90s. Now it's 1990. And uh, I still have the brochure. I still have a copy of the Dallas newspaper. I still have the certificate from competing in the Nintendo Championships. That's right. Your host competed in the 1990 Nintendo Championships. And I donked out so bad. Uh, I got to tell you, I was cruising. I was doing really well. And if you know the story of the Nintendo Championship cartridge, it was a specific cartridge for the championships. And here I am at 11. And my dad, uh, you know, he saw me playing all these new Game Boy games that weren't out yet. Final Fantasy one was launching that year and that was like a big big thing was final fantasy number one on the nes obviously super mario 3 but the competitive game was a specific cartridge and it start and it, it was a five minute limit and players had to get the first 50 coins in super mario 1 the game stops it it goes to rad racer which Nobody really talks about Red Racer anymore, but then it goes to Rad Racer and you finish the first course in Rad Racer. So however long it takes you to get 50 coins in Super Mario and then go to Rad Racer and finish that course, whatever's remaining of your five minutes, you go to Tetris. And I knew that if I got to Tetris, it was party time and I could just drop those blocks, drop those blocks. And everything seemed great. Everything was going swimmingly, folks, <laughs> until... I was faced with the prospect of doing it on stage in front of everybody. And I got to tell you, it was too much for 11-year-old Jonathan to handle. And I donked out, like completely just bonked out. <laughs> it was too much pressure. And um, and it was, I don't know, uh, uh, here's the moment. Here's the moment, Geekscape, is we're getting in the car and, and I'm kicking myself for, for choking. Um, uh, you know, it's a fantastic day, of course, like, I discovered mo- games that I would love for years to come, like Gargoyle's Quest, uh, awesome Game Boy game. Like, uh, there's tons of stuff like that that I still remember. Uh, and as we're getting in the car, my dad was like, you, "Didn't you want a T-shirt?" And this is where the story is going. He said, Don't, "Didn't you want a T-shirt?" And like a, some kind of memento. And I said, "No." Like I, I didn't really even think about having my dad buy me anything. It was enough that he had driven me up there on a weekend. You know, um, paid for the passes, all that stuff. Like, I don't know. I didn't want to be a spoiled kid. And I hadn't really thought about my dad getting me anything. And he revealed to me that he'd bought me a t-shirt. And you can Google it. It's the 1990 Nintendo Championships t-shirt. There's several versions. There's one with Link on it. It's not that version. It's a black shirt. It's not the white shirt. And this shirt actually had Donkey Kong on it. And I found some people online recently. I kind of did a little bit of a deep dive because this this photo came up of me. I think this might, I mean, how old are you? Like, what grade are you in when you're 11? Sixth grade? Is that sixth grade? I'm looking at it right now. I'm holding it up. Uh, You can't see this, but I'm holding this photo, and it's me 
with like a little bit of an alfalfa hair sticking up and I've got glasses, my braces, friendship bracelets, and I'm wearing the shirt my dad gave me. Um, this is my school photo, I think for sixth grade, obviously 1990, and I'm wearing the Nintendo Championships t-shirt. And the other day on the internet, I'm you know thinking about this picture, thinking about the shirt, and I said, you know what? I bet in the internet age, someone makes replicas of this shirt. Or actually, so, there was a Geekscapist who DM'd me and said, hey, uh, what was the game you played? And I told him about the, the specific cartridge for the championship. And then I said, I bet you can find them on eBay. So I went on eBay. Those cartridges are in the thousands. The specific Nintendo championship cartridges are in the thousands. Uh, but you can find them. Uh, and they're there. So if you still have a working NES and you want to give it a give it a go, um, you can buy them. But one thing that I also found on eBay was like a retro bootleg reprinter who was making modern versions of those t-shirts. The t-shirt that I'm wearing as an 11-year-old sixth grader in this photo, in my school photo. It's one of my favorite photos because it reminds me so much of that that day that, you know, it's just such an important day for me. It was a day spent with my dad uh, away from the bullying of my brothers. <laughs> 200 Game Boys! So I found this reprinter, this bootleg printer that that will make these that's making these shirts in mass and selling them on eBay, you know, trademarks be damned. And I was like, oh my God, I gotta buy this shirt. And this is where like Thomas Wolfe's book, You Can't Go Home Again, that phrase, You Can't Go Home Again, starts to play. Because your host, Jonathan, had this idea. I'm gonna buy one of these shirts. I'm gonna buy a large adult version of this shirt. And I'm going to remake this photo with the whole like jean canvas background. You remember school photos in the 90s? <laughs> you have like a fake cat. Well, this is Texas. So you have like a fake cactus or like a rock or something and like some weird throw pillow. And yeah, we're, I'm, I mean, I'm looking at this photo now. I've got like these weird kind of zuby jeans I'm wearing these Reeboks with like tube socks sticking out of them. Freaking nerd, right? Like, the future host of Geekscape. <laughs> like I was keeping it real every year. Um, and so I had this idea and I was like, Hey, I'm going to buy one of these shirts and I'm going to remake this photo. Even if it's painstaking, I'm going to try and make as accurate a reenactment of this photo uh, as possible. Um, maybe it'll be a, a, a father's day gift or something. So I ordered this shirt and I Geekscape is, am so excited. Uh, the whole week I'm, I'm like checking the tracking here comes my shirt. It's shipping from Canada. This, uh, I think the company's called Knockout Tees. I'm so excited. I'm like, oh my God, it, it, the, the shipping is telling me that it's going to come earlier than expected. And now, oh, it's going to come even earlier than that. And I come home yesterday so excited to open this package, get the shirt out, try it on like yeah i've got i've got this shirt that was really important to me and i've got an adult version of it and oh my goodness the second i opened the package heidi comes in and goes what's that she's like what you you know she knew i ordered <laughs> i ordered her stuff on the internet she's like what, what, what's that this oh man the second i open this package and i feel the t-shirt i know it ain't good <laughs> like it is like the gildan Brandon, nothing against Gildan. The Geekscape shirts I made for Comic-Con this past summer are Gildan, but they're Gildan Soft. And Gildan Soft is like a really nice material. It's great on your skin. This is like the Gildan that like, they just don't want to spend a lot of money. And the second I touch it, it's just like sandpaper. Oh, no, no, no. Immediately, I'm like, oh, no. This is going to be low quality. And I pull the shirt out, and Geekscape is, it is not the bright vibrant colors of the logo of this specific image that i remember it was like they found an image of it online low res and they just printed it and slapped it on a shirt there's blurs in it. <laughs> i mean you can see everything but the dot matrix printing on this thing it is like you can't see where like donkey kong's eyes start and like his you know his skin it starts and like you can't you know the the stars are kind of muted it looks like if somebody made a version of this shirt to be purposefully distressed but you know it's just a printed low res image 
on a t-shirt that wasn't very expensive. And then they shipped it and they're like, well, have fun nerd. Um, I hated it for the second I got it. I was so heartbroken. And that's where I start to ask the question like, dude, you're a 44-year-old man who just bought a Nintendo shirt online from a bootleg printer from a memory you had like when you were 11 years old. What the heartbreak seemed disproportionate to the reality. The reality is a 44-year-old man <laughs> bought a shirt that would remind him of his school photo when he was 11. Like, it sounds pathetic now. But the heartbreak I felt was what's alarming me. And I think, and it's like, dude, what's this about? And I actually want to ask you guys, Geekscape, is send me some messages, send me a response. Like, what is the furthest you've gone to reclaim a childhood memory is it going and buying like an expensive old game that maybe you have on an older system and you remember playing on like the pc growing up or maybe on a, an old an old system like an atari Lynx or something or uh maybe it's the wii because you're younger than me what is what are the extents that you went to to reclaim a portion of your childhood we're all doing it we're all watching star wars and ahsoka and the stuff that we grew up with we're all watching these marvel movies we're all re- still reading comics probably if you're listening to the show you're we're also playing video games we're also watching movies we're all celebrating the stuff we celebrated when we were younger and there's no shame in the game clearly here i am 18 years into geekscape and I'm still having a blast doing it and talking to y'all and getting feedback and meeting creative people who've also been inspired by the things they grew up with and continue to, to pursue them professionally. Like, I love this stuff. But it doesn't come without heartbreak. <laughs> and, and I'm not putting that shirt on, man. I'll tell you what I did. I actually contacted our friend Logan, who's been on Geekscape Games a few times. And what Logan does, if you follow him on, um, on Instagram, it, Logan will find these old ps1 playstation retro properties and he'll up res the low res images that he finds from like an old cd case remember like a cd-rom case from a playstation one game or something like that and uh he'll find the graphics online and he'll up res them and make like really cool graphics it's art what 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 logan does is like a, a modern art representation of a retro playstation game logan's younger than me so the playstation was his system and i'm over here talking about the 8-bit nes but uh to each their own and i love it but i did contact i'll I'll tell you i wasn't going to take defeat i wasn't going to live in the heartbreak i want my damn nintendo championships 1990 shirt so i contacted logan and i was like hey man the images you find online that you make this playstation stuff with this this sony playstation celebration art with you up-res it, right? Like, you find some low-res stuff, and you have to up-res it sometimes, right? And he said, absolutely. And he told me how to do it, and I was about to start doing it when he said, what's the image you want? And I just kind of told him. I felt sheepish. I took some photos of the shirt and the low quality, and he couldn't believe the shirt was that low quality. He's like, how, why are people even selling this? This is, this is bad. Um, and, and Logan, because he's a saint and an awesome person, and I love him, and thank you, Shane O'Hare, for bringing him to Geekscape, uh, Logan said, I'm Googling this stuff right now. Like Logan undertook the uprising of the Nintendo championship shirt because damn it, my dream will not be denied. And my reclaiming of my childhood will not be denied. <laughs> so, uh, to be continued geeks but, uh, know that when I was 11, I went to the Nintendo championships. It was one of the greatest memories of my life. Uh, I wore the t-shirt, my sixth grade photo, and I need a modern adult version of that T-shirt. The Donkey Kong one, not the Link one. I don't have an emotional attachment to Link, even though I love that franchise uh, so much more than Donkey Kong. But um, it's, it's the shirt, man. And I got to reenact it with the mullet, the glasses, the alfalfa hair, the, the weird-ass pants, <laughs> the tube socks, the plastic cactus, the like weird throw blanket background thing. I'm going to go to Sears or JCPenney. Is JCPenney still around? Is Sears still around? I'm going to go find some photo place and I'm going to reenact this photo. But I have to get the shirt. And I'm not going to take some bootleg, low-res, JPEG garbage (laughs) reprint to do it. 
we don't we don't half-ass things here at Geekscape. Well, we do sometimes, but I'm not half-assing this. All right. <laughs> so to be continued, the quest for the 1990s Nintendo World Championship Nintendo Championship shirt continues, and you're in the right spot. Subscribe if you want to keep up with it. Um, okay, that's enough. Here's my conversation with Michael J. White. Enjoy. All right, Michael J. White. Jay or Jai? Like, let's be real. Like, set the record straight. It's Jai, unless you're it's just Jai. saying the initial. <laughs> okay, Jai. no, no, no. We're not going to do the initial. We're going to yeah, do okay. the full name, like it says right here, actor and yeah, filmmaker, Michael Jai White. There it is. It, because disrespecting you is, it's dangerous. Yes, it is. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, he's got a new movie called Outlaw Johnny Black. It is out in theaters only in theaters, September 15th, man. And uh, I love this. Are you doing a exploitation trilogy? Is this what this is, the second film? And like, uh, you know, if, if we got Black Dynamite, now we got Outlaw Johnny Black. Yeah, what, what I have is uh, kind of a combination. It's a mashup of, uh, you know, it's a Westploitation in, in certain ways, but it's a, a conglomeration of a lot of things that I grew up on. I, I love the, the Western drama. And so I do homage to that. And, um, you know, I, I, I wanted to entertain, but also have a story to tell and, and a message to share. Yeah. And I actually, for people who are like, oh, my God, is it like Black Dynamite? Is it like Black Dynamite? I love Black Dynamite. Everybody loves Black Dynamite. Um, some of it is like Black Dynamite, but I think the majority of it is not like Black Dynamite. I think that it, I think that if you are following in the history of movies like, uh, Buck and the Preacher, or the stuff that you got from like Fred Williamson, or you know some of those actors, uh, Melvin Van Peebles. You can't poke fun because it's it's like poking fun at an entire movement, and that stuff was too important to like totally discredit with just joke after joke after joke after joke. There's depth here. Not that there isn't with Black Dynamite, but it's a different tone. Does that make sense? Well, yeah, but but I I, I basically. I do homage to several Westerns. I mean, I, I've got like kind of breadcrumbs and uh, just uh, Easter eggs of a lot of things that you, you could probably see even in the trailer to Terrence Hill and, you know, uh, to, to um, Mel Brooks and, and just several others. Did you grow up on that stuff? Oh, I, I, absolutely. I love Westerns. I love the, the, the morality of Westerns, the storytelling. Uh, and overall, I mean, there was a time in the 70s where you, you, you see a movie that you could watch over and over and with, with your family, I, I might add, and, um, and get things out of every time you see it. That's what I wanted to do with this movie. There were movies like uh, Uptown Saturday Night and Let's Do It Again and Things like that that made you laugh and, and, and had messages and you felt good afterwards. So that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to relive that with people my age and older. And I wanted to present that to a younger audience as well in the same way I experienced it. And you expect the audience to come from Black Dynamite, the Black Dynamite animated, the stuff that's tonally close. Because that trailer feels tonally close to what you're going for. And then when I watch the film, I'm like, no, actually, there's some like that feels like the sugar that lets the med that like kind of gets you to to the medicine to go down. And now I'm getting like a full story, and you're yeah. pushing you're pushing storytelling more than you were doing in Black Dynamite. Again, not that it's like total gag filled on Black Dynamite, but like the ratio is different here. Well, well, Black Dynamite was um, authentic to a particular type of movie. And that was the movies like The Shafts, like, Jim you Kelly know, stuff. well, yeah, that, that yeah. kind of stuff. That that was very much the intention of a Black Dynamite, this hypersexual, you know, hyperviolent storytelling of like the Mac and all those those type of movies. Well, this to do it right, you are being authentic to the Western part of this. And Westerns uh, were steeped in that kind of storytelling, good guy, bad guy, or white hat, black hat type of thing. So this quite naturally 
will be at different things. There's a morality, there's a, there's a um, story of revenge and redemption, you know, like you would see in a Western. So to do it right is to be authentic to the Western genre. Right. I mean, in a lot of the more classic Westerns, we're talking 30s, 40s, 50s, the, you know, the, the, the white and the black hat was kind of important to saying good guy, bad guy. But here, the good guy wears a black hat. And I think that stuff like started up with the spaghetti stuff in the 60s. And, and then yeah. when you got to the 70s, it was like, I'm not wearing a white hat. You know, like there's going to be some moral ambiguity here. And your character wrestles with the the idea of revenge and being driven reve- by revenge. And honestly, Geekscape is when the movie starts out, like there's not much more that he's got. But over the course of the movie, he's, and I don't want to spoil it for you. And keep in mind, like, no, I, no. I, I totally popped for some of these cameos and I'm not going to spoil them here. Geek Scabus. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's, you know, when somebody tries to do something in a genre and play, pay homage to it. And, and if they do it too tongue in cheek, I feel like they're condescending it. Oh, absolutely. You're, you're doing it with love here. And there's in like, you clearly know what you're doing. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, I have an absolute love for this. And, you know, a, a message that I, that, that I really am, I live by, to be honest with you. And, uh, you know, and so, I, you know, like you said, this tasty medicine, that's, that's really exactly the analogy. You know, so, yeah, we could laugh, we could be entertained, but, you know, we could, we could you know, dare I say, we could walk away with something. There's, but- there's, a, little, there's a little story that I, I can share with you that um, happened in the first screening of uh, one of my test screenings. A producer, a Hollywood producer, left the screening and he called me the very next day. And he said, because of your movie, I called my mother. I hadn't spoken to her in eight years. There had been a rift between she and I. But because of your movie, it made me look at things differently and I contacted her. now." We're getting together for the first time in eight years. And when he told me that, I said, I, I, I really feel like I, I've done my job in, with this movie. For somebody like a producer, a Hollywood producer, that's, you know, you know, they Callous. <laughs> too busy to like do the heart stuff. Right. So if, if it could reach the heart of that person, they melted them, like like the Grinch. You melted the Grinch's heart. <laughs> yeah. I said, Mom, let's make this quick. I'm losing money on this phone call. But I just wanted to say, I just saw this movie, and there was a yeah. sermon scene, and it melted my heart. And I think it was Whoa. the sermon scene. It was the sermon scene, wasn't it? Well, I, I, I didn't ask him what particular scene it was. He just said, he said, basically, the movie. It made him think about, you know, I guess probably a lot that, that you can even see in the trailer. There's a message of, um, of, you know, redemption and forgiveness and, um, yeah. holding on to, you know, uh, things that can only hurt you and, um, letting it go, letting it go is, I think the key to healing. And so with, with us, with a story like this, based on, what the story was based on, um, uh, you know, because I, I crafted this story on on um, Black Wall Street, which was one of the you know many tragedies in in um, history where black thriving towns were overrun uh, by uh, by you know clan and things of of the sort. Um, where you know we 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 are looking at something that was pre Tulsa, and but I'm I'm offering uh, suggestions on how do we knowing this history, knowing our history, how do we move on from that and take our rightful lives and our our rightful um, trajectory to happiness. You know, and, and prosperity. In the Tulsa thing, I'm glad it became a part of the conversation again. And I'm glad people started being like, wait, this happened? And, you know, so that because it just shows the failure of the education system. Yes. That 
you don't even have to mil like mobilize it to the degree that some of these states are doing with the er erasing they're doing of of history mm -hmm. and the tragedies that have happened to uh, quote unquote build this country it's got a loose leg it's going to fall maybe it falls apart i don't know but the history is being deliberately ignored and then pop culture comes in and like gets people to be like wait what happened in 1920 like this less than 100 years ago like, what what happened mm -hmm. and geekscape is i mean the speech at the end of the movie i was kind of waiting for like i'm like oh man oh man as you're giving that speech at the end of the movie the hurrah mm -hmm. speech like <laughs> we, we geekscape is we think we've saved the day we're gonna do these great things there's a like a there's a, a self-aware kind of sadness to it mm -hmm. too because america didn't do those things and they did not have the backs of a lot of the people they built the country on and they stepped in like i think that that geekscape is, is kind of the coolest thing about the movie i like the kicks i like the mm -hmm. action i like the genre but that stuff you're putting in the movie is some of my favorite stuff i just had to say that michael jay um when you're when you're working with byron co-writing this stuff and you guys worked on black dynamite again and you a lot of black dynamite folks are back for this one not our good friends james lou and simon Ree, but like what were they gonna do right um well james went and moved to vancouver so yes yeah. I, I do love him um how much of this stuff was intentionally in that first draft does that make sense like did you guys come out of this with an energy and like hey we got a lot of goodwill from black dynamite and i'm doing action movies you did one with my my friend sean Piccinino, um the island and geeks gave us that's recently released like you should go see the island it's it's badass um and sean says hello by the way sean loved working with you and your wife he loved it loved working yeah. with him as well. i was like i was like anything embarrassing you can tell me about michael jai and he goes <laughs> hell no you're gonna get me killed um no he, he just said he loved working with you and he's been on geekscape i like i i i love sean he's, he's a sweetheart um how much of that stuff was in that first draft how many of those layers that we're talking about were in the was in that first draft and how much of it did you say hey here's an opportunity of this or so maybe through some of your research or refamiliarization with the films in the genre or outside the genre did you start kind of populating the, the script and then ultimately the directing with this stuff it really was only one draft. I wrote it straight through. I I, I, I started writing and, and I, I tend to see everything. And even the way I write is I, I basically write my shot list. Uh, so it's kind of internal. It's not, not like I'm writing it for another director to shoot. Of course. So I, I pretty much, I, I, I just went right straight through and um, wrote what I saw. And, and um, how do you maintain how do you maintain that in the process of collaboration when somebody else wants to put different ingredients into the stew that you're in charge of? Does that make sense? Because obviously, with artists, you want to leave room for people to be like, "Hey, I kind of see the, 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 this this performance. Kind of, what if I do this?" Or when you start talking about the visual language of it, you talk to a DP, you start talking to again your co-writer, co producer. Like, well, how do you I, how do you keep to that voice while respecting their uh, contributions? Well, I mean, to be honest with you, how this turned out is that I, I just wrote it. Right. Um, and uh, the intention was, you know, Byron and I were going to write it. But um, it was, as, it, as it happened that um, we never really got together to do that. I ended up writing the whole script. And, um, and, and um, Byron pretty much um, did some of his own dialogue. Mm -hmm. So that, that's kind of how we... Uh, Kind of did that together, but I, I I I pretty much wrote and structured the entire movie, and, and Byron offered uh, uh, some dialogue stuff on on his character. If they complain, is that where the martial arts comes in? Was that? If they complain, or you guys have a disagreement about a, a you know something you both <laughs> see, that's that's the martial arts. That's where it helps. No, no, that that it, it helps to like, be like. No, no, it's just like, yeah, I've got a lot of experience. I just, you know, it's it's like, it's weird, but being an actor and director, imagine like, well, most directors, 
or even if you're directing an action movie, maybe the average director might have directed three or five movies. Well, I've been on the set of 70 and amassed all kinds of things from other action directors and and just dramatic directors. So I tend to come with a, I'm, I kind of have a, a big, um, kind of a big toolbox. And so me writing in the language of film and knowing what I'm going to shoot, I know I'm going to shoot the thing. And for every so, film that you've been on, you've read that script. So the writing is there. On yeah, top and of the writing you've done. There's a, it's a disconnect between the page and the person, um, and even the directors. A lot of times if the writer is not the director, and sometimes they get on set and they don't know, they, they don't have their shot list. I'm like, I wrote the shot list. So I already see this thing. You Did know? Sean have a shot list? I'm just going to talk trash. Did Sean have a shot list? I'm going to talk about that. I'm sure he did. Yeah. Don't say the island and decide if Sean had a. I'm kidding. I like the island. Yeah, awesome. yeah. And I love Sean. He taught yeah, Sean's yeah. still a, Yeah. But I, I tend I tend to I like I tend to completely know what I'm shooting. And and even uh, I you know, make up things on the fly. Like if you've seen the slap sequence or the action sequence against the uh you know the the guys in that that first in that first scene. Mm-hmm. Those sequences I created on the way to the set. That's stressful. Driving to the set, I'm I've cut everything. I know what I'm sh- going to shoot, and it's right here. So but what tools do you use? I mean, do you go? I mean, you get there, you write it all down because so you can collaborate it with a DP and then choreograph it and tell the actors. No, no, block no. I, I I know. I, well, choreography. If the and team is big, how are you? If the team is so big, and I know it's an indie movie, but like the team's so big, how does that stuff not get away from you? Does it make sense? You can't be everywhere at once. You know what I'm saying? No, no, no. no. I mean, believe, believe me, I could do that right now. It's like I would say, I need the camera there. I need the camera here. This first guy, you're going to come at me from this angle. You're going to go right. Don't get any closer than this. And this is the cadence of these, you know, of this movement. And so that's exactly what happened. Nobody knew the choreography. Nobody did. But till I got there. But it's a it was a quick process because I've done this a a, a lot. It, it's tantamount to saying, okay, what if, if I was a tap dancer or a, a dancer, and I say I'm going to do a torchette, then I'm going to do this or whatever. You're going to catch me from head to toe and action and i'm the one doing it well then it's it's pretty simple because keep keep me in frame that's all you you gotta do you've worked with this with these collaborators your your stuntmen your the fellow actors so many times and again geekscape like it feels like the family's back together on a lot of this stuff if you Mm -hmm. watch michael jai's movies and that becomes an extension of yourself so you're allowed oh, to, you're yeah. able to do that stuff efficiently, even on a budget. Like this is an indie movie, and again, Geekscape as it comes out this uh, on September fifteenth in theaters only, um, on an indie budget where it's all about, you know, the schedule. You got to get that schedule. Like you, there's not a lot of room, wiggle room, and then you have almost not an improvised fight sequence, but a, a fight sequence that you have down. You know how to do. You're clipping through it. And then is there room to make improvements if you find an opportunity to be like, oh, what if you do? That's kind of like what you do. That's kind of cool if you maybe jump into that. Does that make sense? Like the stress level seems a little high on on an indie budget to do this. And that's where your experience kicks in and all that. Yeah. yeah I've, I've, I've like literally like if you think about the slap sequence, that's intricate. I seriously, nobody knew I was even going to shoot that. You didn't. Shot list, I had you did floor planet. Yeah. Was that? You didn't shot list or floor planet or no. No, not not at all. I had it in my head because I had the time to do it. If I didn't have the time, I wouldn't have shot it. So um I knew the the setups and and I knew with uh with Paul Logan, who was an, another martial artist that he will get the timing. 
All we have to do is run it. And that's exactly what happened. So, you know, I, I, I know with with stunt professionals, I know what to expect. You know, it's it's like if I had an actor that I do, that, that would take all day. You know, it's, they're not, you know, they're not necessarily skilled in, in, in that. And is there an energy that conveys to screen when you say, hey, like, we're not going to overly rehearse this. We're not going to overly like shot list this we're not gonna really choreograph it we're just gonna we're, i know you you know me we know like what the shot is like there's an energy that doesn't get exhausted when you do that would you agree with that well it's a lot sh- believe believe me it's a lot shorter than the alternative it's it's really short again it's i use the dance reference if you've done these dance moves several times and you're going to be, and, and I'm being uh, authentic to the '70s movie making, which is not a bunch of camera tricks. It's basically keep me in frame. We got to get this done, and, right? And I'm going to do it. You know, um, if you know some of my movies like Blood and Bone, keep me in frame. I'm gonna, I'm gonna fight these five guys before this next cut. All you got to do is keep me in frame. And so that's that's infinitely easier to do than when someone can't do it. And like, so if you look at flash dance, well, that's mm-hmm. going to take a lot longer than showing Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers, you know, who yeah. will perform in on the on in a full frame. But yeah. if Jennifer Bills doesn't know how to do that, it's you got to shoot Jennifer, the double, the feet. The hands, you have to create that in an editing room. Well, that's not how 70s movie making was. So it frees me up to do it pure. That's kind of what it's, I love about those Shaw brothers, like those, those Shaw movies, where it's, oh, it's, it's almost like you're watching theater. The yeah. takes are so long. And it's, all, it's about the dance. It's about the choreography. And it's mm-hmm. not the MTV fight sequence. It's not any of that stuff. Um, does that stuff frustrate you? Like clearly, like Geekscape is this is one of the first black actors to play a superhero on Geekscape right now. Like this is maybe the first with Spawn. When you get into those bigger things, when there's effects and there's shots and the, you know, does that stuff frustrate you as a performer? Because uh, there's that chance that you're like, wait, what are we doing? Wait, what? None of this stuff is practical, and then you're cutting it up into a million shots. Or is there an advantage to that stuff as well as a performer? Well, what what happens is um, a lot of movies um, since there there are a lot of people who don't move exceptionally well, and so you have to create that in editing. But what happens is sometimes the editor starts to to have this language of I have to create it in the in in the in the uh, in the editing room. Right, like you get the Van Damme triple take or something yeah. like that, right? Like you get the Van Damme yeah. triple take because it's like, uh, the impact's cool, but let's add more impact by seeing it three times for different angles. Right, yeah, you right. have to kind of, you know, do that. But then, but then they start treating even people who move exceptional that same way. Well, see, someone like Bruce Lee, he's in the editing room. He's, he, you're making sure, he's making sure that the beauty of his kick is seen completely. And he's doing several things before there's a cut, right? I, 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 you know, I'll give you an, um, an example, okay? Um, one of the, the biggest, one of the most uh, widely uh, recognized scenes in Raiders of the Lost Ark is uh, when in, Indiana Jones comes, oh, he steps into in the frame, he's in frame, and in the background, there's a guy with a scimitar with this big sword in the crowd, you know, swinging around. And then and Indiana Jones turns, shoots him, and then walks away, you know? And it all happens on frame. Well, somebody could have shot a close-up of the gun, a close-up of the squib of the, the, the shot hitting the guy, a close-up of the guy falling, and there are, there are editors that would cut all that together. Believe me, we wouldn't be talking about that scene if that happened. It and was it is the beauty of, scene. 
Yeah, it's a beauty they intended for it to be longer. What's that? Hadn't, hadn't they intended? I mean, the, the famous story is that they intended for that scene with the versus the scimitar to be an actual fight. When they got to it, they were like, "Dude, let's just shoot, just shoot him." But that scene is it has so much character because it happened all in one shot, mm-hmm. right? If they cut it like the way I just said, we wouldn't be talking about it right now because the beauty of it is that it all occurred in that one shot. So what I'm saying is that when you sometimes the the beauty of seeing the the full thing happen is there's no readjusting our minds. We're experiencing something like fully. And so with fight scenes like the Shaw brothers, we're watching this magnificence and that's uninterrupted. So with um with like say the fight scenes, what I'm saying is like I'm directing the movie, so I know it's not going to be interrupted. It takes a long time for most most uh, fight scenes because they're going to they're going to cut they're going to shoot all these different inserts that I'm not going to use because I'm going to show me kicking four guys. I mean, kicking four times and two guys at the, at the same time. You know what I mean? I'm not going to cut make make this a a fight scene that's that the action is created in an editing room. No, it's not going to happen. So you know that that that's that's what I'm saying. So it becomes something that's easier for for me. Um, and the, so the 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 action stuff occurs quicker because I got like great stunt people and even the the saloon fight mm-hmm. that probably was done in half the time of a normal saloon fight. You have a ton of actors mm-hmm. and a ton of resets on the on the props. When you start breaking stuff, if you can't do it in a few takes, like <laughs> the art department's gonna mutiny against you. And you guys- I have it. a lot of uh, extra breakable stuff that we never used. <laughs> That's great. I have, a, I have a whole, you know, I have a whole storage thing of it. So if anybody needs breakaway tables and bottles, I've got a whole bunch of them. You're hinting at a outlaw Johnny Black sequel is what you're doing. Because why not use that stuff? <laughs> Let's go. Yeah, I wouldn't mind. I started this up as talking about this. And I, and I actually don't think it's accurate. I think that these movies, they, and again, Geekscape is like, I love I love Black Dynamite. I love the, I mean, Michael J. if I see you in a movie, like, uh, I saw the sudden death like, is that a spinoff? Is it a sequel? Like, I love the Van Damme, like, John Hyams or Peter Hyams' sudden death. And I love seeing that stuff. So, like, when I saw that you were doing something that was kind of in the similar universe or this, I was like, I'm watching that. So, I love watching your films. And I love watching the performances, like you say. Like, and our friends, like, like James Liu, tell me a million stories about martial arts performance and choreography. And I love hearing these stories because... I actually think that it doesn't have to be a martial arts or an action sequence uh, to apply. I think if you do that with a dramatic scene and you chop it to heck, the actors are like, hey, man, I gave it to you in a fluid expression of energy in the performance. And there's an intensity in the building of my performance. Why'd you cut it off at the knees by cutting to the bedside? Why'd you cut it off? You know, in, in like... And I'm not talking about oneers because oneers, to a degree, start being a little more about the director than the substance, right? Than the mm-hmm. subject. And, and sometimes the oneers frustrate me sometimes because people are like, "Oh, it's doing a oneer." It's like, why? Why? So you can put yourself in the movie. If you want to put yourself in the movie, be an actor, right? Directors mm-hmm. like, like, uh, you watch Scorsese. He doesn't do fancy. I mean, he, you can talk about that one that he does and uh, mm-hmm. the famous one of going into the club and all that stuff. But if you watch the the oneers in Taxi Driver, it's a pan of the camera. It's a shift. It's about the intensity of the performance. And so I think that the stuff we're talking about with martial arts, I think it applies to dramatic acting as well. Just Robert De Niro with a with a payphone, right? Um, so again, Geekscape is, I don't think that this is the middle of a trilogy. This might be a whole new franchise. That's a long way for me to be in like, in my final question, plans for that? Well, I mean, it depends on the uh, the uh, response, I think. 
So I, I don't ever want to get ahead of myself. So I, I, I have something in my back pocket for a sequel, but we, let, let's, uh, let's, let's, let's um, really make a statement with this one first. Okay, Geekscapers, you have your mission. It's Outlaw Johnny Black. It is in theaters September 15th. It's a, and it's only in theaters, Geekscapers, so you're going to want to watch And you're going to want to watch this in the theater. Okay, because you're going to want to watch these performances on a big screen. Remember when I told you about Triple R and you were like, Triple R, never heard of it. And then like you went to watch it on Netflix and you're like, yeah, it's it great. And then you went to see it in the theater and they were like going to rip the seats out and like hit each other. Like they, people were going crazy. Remember when I told you to watch The Raid and you were like, great. And you went to see it in the theater and people were losing their minds. Like the two hypest of all time theaters I've ever been in, The Raid, that first The Raid movie. And triple R. And so Geekscapist, if I'm telling you to watch this movie in a theater and it's only available in a theater, that's what you're going to do. Okay? Don't wait for this thing to hit VOD or where, whoever is buying it. Okay? Uh, Michael Jai, thank you so much for being on Geekscape. And I, we're going to send people to, to see it and we're going to get that sequel going. All right? Appreciate you. Thank you. Geekscapist, how cool is Michael Jai White? If you enjoyed the episode, please share it with your friends. Tell them, hey, you're into creative stuff. You're into pop culture. You're into movies, video games, comic books. This guy, Jonathan, talks to people about that stuff every week. This is a fun, creative pop culture podcast, and I've been doing it for a long time, and I do it for you guys absolutely free. The only thing I really ask is that you share it, that you subscribe, that you maybe leave a five-star review. That stuff definitely helps our visibility. It helps when I solicit a guest and say, hey, do you want to come on Geekscape? That they or their publicists go to... Maybe it's Apple Podcasts, maybe it's Spotify, and they see that we have a, like uh, some pretty good reviews, that we have some nice testimonials for the audience, um, that it's got some five stars on it. That stuff definitely helps our reputation. It helps them know that they're not just going to waste their time talking to me, that you guys are going to listen, that you guys are going to enjoy it, that you guys are going to go out and uh, maybe partake in their movie or their comic book or their video game uh, or see their performance. Like That stuff really, really helps us out. So again, share it with your friends subscribe, leave those reviews. We've got more amazing Geekscapes coming out uh, every week. LA Comic Con's coming in December. We've got our uh, Big Brothers, Big Sisters holiday uh, live stream coming. <laughs> that stuff's starting to get worked on. I know Matt Kelly's working on that stuff pretty diligently. I'm starting to see all those emails. And uh, man, the Geekscape train just keeps chugging and I'm laying the track as fast as I can. Sometimes I get run over by it. <laughs> Sometimes I don't. The other thing too is don't forget to send me a message letting us know when you uh, tried to reclaim your childhood like I did with the Nintendo Championships t-shirt that mm, didn't turn out so good, but I'm still trying. Uh, when have you tried to reclaim your childhood? Have you spent a lot of money? Have you spent a lot of time trying to do something that maybe was emotionally important to you or brought you back to something you really enjoyed as a kid? When have you tried to reclaim your childhood? Did it work? Is there hope for me in my Nintendo Championship shirt? Or maybe it blew up in your face and it was a disaster or you spent too much money or time. Uh, tell me. I love that stuff. You can email me at jonathan at geekscape.net. I'm totally easy to find online uh, on social media. And, of course, if you search Geekscape, you're not only going to find this show, but you'll find a ton of other shows under the Geekscape hood in the Geekscape network and, of course, our social media. So we're easy to find. Of course, we have our Facebook group, Geekscape Forever. There's tons of stuff going on. Uh, we love you. This is what it's about. Us connecting with you, you connecting with us. So for this week, thank you so much for listening, and we'll check you next time. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.